Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 15-Minute Film Fanatics. You know how this works. This week, we'll be covering 1979's Alien. Can't wait. Can't wait to talk about Alien, Mike. So here's my little story of the first time I saw Alien. It was, um, I had seen, uh, you know, I grew up in the time of waiting around the block for movies, waiting in long lines, and then you get there and they're sold out. So you decide to wait in line for another two and a half hours for the next show. And your parents didn't mind because, you know, you were out of the house. So I remember Star, Star Wars, as, as people of my age call it, the first one. We don't call it A New Hope. We call it the first one. comes out in 1977. Um, I'm, I'm totally smitten. I'm, I'm reading comic books. I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I hear about this movie, Alien. And I'm at like this family picnic and one of the older kids there, I'm 11 years old. He says, oh, I saw Alien. I go, oh, what was it like? What did the alien look like? And all he'll say is like, he was like the big Lebowski. He's going like, oh, it's far out, man. It keeps changing forms. It was really wild, man. So I'm like, I got to see this movie. I got to see this movie. But of course it was rated R. So my mother says, well, I don't know. But I say to my father, can you take me to see this movie Alien? And he says, sure. So my father, myself at 11 and my grandfather, who came along. I forgot how he was involved, but somehow he came along for the ride. We all went to see it. I was 11 years old in the movie theater. And when you talked about Rear Window, you said it was one of your great filmic experiences from being a kid. This was one of mine. Just sitting there and seeing those things for the first time and, and also feeling like I was super cool because I was seeing a rated R movie with my father and my grandfather and watching those scenes, like watching the face hugger and the, and the, and the chest pop and, and all those things when I was a kid, I came out of there like, like I had earned a purple heart. And so that movie, this movie has a real special uh, spot in my movie going heart and, and in my chest. That's great. I actually saw Aliens first because the sequel uh, is much promoted uh, and it's it's off and on because, of course, it it's much more of a traditional American action movie. But I happen to see Alien, which is not. Alien is the best reminder that what is referred to as science fiction is more of a minutia or an idiom. It's a way to get into other kinds of stories. Alien, for my money, is one of the best horror films of all time. Uh, it, it has an indestructible foe. Um, it's got a close quarters. It, it's, it's also pitch perfect from beginning to end. If somebody were to ask you, how should I write a movie? Alien would be the movie to tell them to watch a hundred times and what, and write a movie exactly like that. It's, I think two hours start to finish. It starts as soon as the pods open and it ends as soon as her pod closes. When yeah. she finally gets rid of the alien, how long is the movie after she gets rid of the alien, after she turns the thruster on and blasts it into space? Nine seconds, 10 seconds? 40, 45 seconds, exactly. Really? That's a great fact. And that's a testament to how, how, how well done the film is. Because you accept the second ending. The second ending wasn't a, wasn't a, a trope yet or a cliche yet. So when she goes into the shuttle, now, I think a, a first-time viewer now would say, okay, it's going to pop up one more time. But I tell you, when you're 11 years old, you do not see that coming. No, I, I think that it that it's brilliant. And I mean, it just in terms of its exposition, it's so beautiful. There's no um, there's no uh, scene where you get everybody's background. It's all inferred from dialogue and how they relate to one another, which is which is perfect exposition. And of course, I mean, the, the premise, as you said, now would be cliche. But if you were sending people to the furthest 
reaches of space that we're going to interact with alien life. This is essentially like Teamsters versus extraterrestrials. And, yeah, and that's exactly what would what would happen. I kept waiting for Al Pacino to come out and go, unity, unity, unity. They could have they could de-age the alien if they had to. But and, and you know what else is great about this is that you said you don't get anybody's backstory, but at the same time, they're all such recognizable human beings. Like not only is, you know, no one needs me to say this, but the casting is perfect. The acting is perfect. The little character touches like Harry Dean Stanton's um, Hawaiian shirt like uh, the way that the captain is named dallas and, and you know little little things um that make them come to life as human beings are great because what's what i love about this film and what i loved about seeing it again for the podcast is that there is zero romance of space travel you don't have to like science fiction at all to like this movie it's not even a science fiction movie it, it's it's it doesn't even work that way it's just this giant dark dingy thing lumbering through space it's not like 2001 it's not like star wars and i love how everything that happens on the nostromo is exactly analogous to how we bitch about things at the office or at work, right? Like the video feed doesn't work when, when they when they land on the planet to, to find the alien eggs, right? Um, they're all complaining about, or at least the two guys, Yafit Koto and Harry Dean Stanton are complaining about their shares, right? We want our shares, we want our bonus shares. I love when they're going out. Yeah, she never comes down here. She, that's what he said about the Teamsters, right? The way that, um, I love how Ripley second guesses Dallas when, when they talk about the quarantine. Um, you know, I love that the stomach pop scene happens in the break room. I mean, it's such a great, like a, it's such a great um, transference of Dunder Mifflin to space. That's true. And, it, and but it does such recognizable film things, like even student film things, right? So when, when she and Dallas are arguing, the trope that's that's introduced is the way to stop an argument is uh, you close the pod bay door. You know, she closed the door on him, so he has to roll his eyes and turn around. And, and then they confront one another. And of course, that's what Ash does to her when she tries to get away. He closes the door. And of course, it's far more sinister, but it's it's the prelude to a confrontation. Yeah. And, and so it does all those, it does all those, the confrontations you have in the hallway at work on your way back from the copy machine, right? Combined with, with, with great um, now dated, but also very charming, to use one of your favorite words, charming sci-fi things, like, like the doors go... Right. Or like the, the room that mother, the room you have to sit in to talk to mother, the computer. Right. What's on the walls and the ceiling? You remember this? What white blinkies, white blinkies. That's all. It's just white blinking lights. Right. And that, that's what you need. That's how a computer would be. You're going to have a bunch of white blinking lights. And to show that it's really far in the future, we have more of them blinking out of sequence. So those things strike us as charming now, but they don't take anything away from the movie. No, and I like that she has to uh, enter. You have to enter questions to mother in the Macintosh interface. So welcome back to our conversation about Alien. In part two, we always like to talk about a favorite moment or a favorite scene or a representative moment. So Mike, what's yours? Sure. So mine is the moment that Ash opens the door to let Kane and the others in so that they can take him to the infirmary because the face hugger has attached itself to his face. And I think that that's the moment when this movie is telling you it's a horror movie and not a science fiction movie, if you're not, if you're not picking up on that. And what I mean is genre is really structural. It's not, you know, we just talked about the white blinkies in the mother room, you know, that science fiction is more of an idiom. It's more of uh, things to keep us visually interested uh, or make us forget where we are to some kind of displacement so that another kind of story can take place the same way that star Wars is a fantasy film that looks, it, it takes place within a, within a science fiction idiom. And the way that you can tell is in a real science fiction movie, it's always the hero, our protagonist, that's going against protocol, 
right? So Ripley has her think, has her hand on the button that opens the door and she says, well, I can't do that. We, we have to quarantine or else you might kill all of us. And in the science fiction movie, it would be somebody else saying, Ripley, you better not open that door. And she'd say, well, they're human beings. I have to open the door. But in this case, what what's opening the door is like inviting a vampire. And it's like, it's like any other kind of traditional horror trope that now the thing is in and it's you that has to get out. Yeah. Little did they know that the company has already invited the vampire in by switching Ash onto the onboard two days before, as Dallas tells us later on, which is very easy to miss the first time you see it. That's so great. And uh, Ian Holmes' uh, performance is excellent. And even their confrontation and discussion about it later is is brilliant. And you'll notice that twice, uh, the, the little touch that I like is both times that they're uh, called back into the infirmary to look at Kane. He says, it's much easier if you just see it. Yeah, yeah. He, that was a great, great, it's, it's a great uh, movie to rewatch when you know the secret about Ash. Well, I had an Ash moment too, and it's when he says, uh, when they ask him about it, about the alien, he says, well, I admire its purity. It's a survivor. It's unclouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of, of morality. And I think that's great. And of course, you know, I didn't invent this idea, but you know what that reminded me of? What other famous line from a movie? It is a perfect engine. It's an eating machine. It's a miracle of evolution. It just swims and eats and makes little baby sharks. That's all. And I thought of that because this film was famously pitched, according to the story, as Jaws in Space. Like the perfect sentence, three words, Jaws in Space. So I wanted to talk for a second about all the fun ways that this is like Jaws, because we both love Jaws, right? So, you know, Ash is like the evil hooper, right? Um, you have the perfect eating machine. I thought the scene with the blips on the radar screen, they're just like the barrels in the ocean when they go out with the orca. Um, I love that you barely see the shark and you barely see the, the xenomorph as it's called. You barely see the alien in the film, much to the, the credit of Ridley Scott. Um, and, and even the titles are, are great, right? Like there's this famous story about how Peter Benchley didn't know what to title Jaws. And he had this list of hundreds of names until he just hit on it. And the names now strike us as hilarious, like Great White. Uh, another title was Leviathan Rising, but Jaws is so perfect. Do you know what the original name of Alien was? No, I don't. Get ready. Star Beast. Yikes. Right. And now Alien is a perfect title. It's a perfect one word title for this, just like Jaws is. And I just think that these these films are so similar that even if that story is apocryphal about it's Jaws in space, you, you, they, they both deliver the same kind of the same kind of um, experience. Well, that's right. And I want to pick up on your moment because I think it leads us into one of the reasons that this film is so great, which is Ash delivers that line after he's been uh, decapitated uh, in, the, in the struggle. And it turns out that he's an android and they have, you know, the kind of the fake model of his body. And then when they reanimate it, it's a it's basically just Ian Holmes sticking his head up through a table, which is a fantastic practical effect. And it works every time. But I think the reason it works is because there's certain things that no matter how good the effects are, you can't fake like whatever milk or whatever they put in yeah. his mouth. He still has to, he still as an actor has to gurgle it. You know, we talked about that when we did the lighthouse, for example, that it doesn't matter whether they're drinking or not, you still have to pound a liter of liquid into your body and then act and do a jig and dance around on top of that. And so there's just, there's commitment by actors to practical effects that I think make movies so rewatchable. How great would, would it be if Ash just started screaming, monkey pump? I'd pay to see that. I think it's also a great moment because everybody remembers the, the chest popping scene, but, but the Ash surprise is one of the great, great film surprises. Yeah. And I, I think that um, to, I think that there's a subtlety with Ash, which is that 
his pro I don't know that his programming will necessarily allow him to kill Ripley right away. There's there's some weird hesitation when he's grabbing for her and some awkwardness. And there's also some awkwardness in the way that he kills her. Now you can say in the screenplay that that's for Ash to, you know, that's for the others to have time to gang up on Ash and, and catch up. And I, yeah. and I accept those other filmic reasons, but there's supposed to be some inner conflict where priority number one is you can see it taking over all the other priorities. Whereas when he talks about the creature, the xenomorph, you know, it, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have the same compunctions that he does. Which is like how Hal kills everybody in 2001, right? Hal's supposed to have this internal conflict because he, he, he figures out, or Dave figures out that Hal is working up his crew psychology report. And that's when Hal reports that the antenna's out and that leads one thing to another, but you don't know exactly what happens inside Hal. Here, I think Ash is a lot more um, clear with his mission, but I loved, I, I thought the same exact thing when he tries to kill Ripley, he's clumsy about it and you don't really get into you know, what's happening inside his, his circuitry. Okay, welcome back. So in part three, of course, we like to talk about the title, the ending, or the big takeaways. Dan, I think you have something about Aliens, the sequel. Yeah, because I was nodding a lot uh, when you were we speaking about Aliens before. To our listeners, we pick these films almost at random. They just happen to be films we like. Or, But again, the rules, we've never talked about them at length. And so this time we just said, what about Aliens? And it's funny how when we look back at the podcast episodes we've done already, this these themes start to emerge. And one of the themes that's emerged, kind of starting with The Wicker Man, although it goes both ways, is you know the beauty of restraint. And, and what happens when, when you as an artist are restrained how it forces you to take different um, avenues and can make you more creative, right? So that's something we've talked about a, a lot in the show. Um, even if you do have unlimited money, deciding to be restrained like Hitchcock did in Rear Window can have a lot of great effects. So it's funny before you said Aliens, which is on TV much more on you know on a TBS and things like that. In, in 1979, Alien was done. The budget was about $11 million. Time goes by, 1986, Aliens comes out, and the budget is $18 million. Now, Alien is such a superior film. I think Aliens is, is, is cringeworthy. It's clumsy. It's, um, you said before, it's like a giant big action movie. Let's not just have one alien. Let's, it, it's like if Brody and Quentin Hooper had to go after like a school of sharks. And it's funny how the restraint of Alien, we're going to put it on one ship. There's going to be one monster. There's going to be this many crew members, and they're all going to die except one person and the cat how that makes a much more satisfying experience. Yeah, I think that we've talked about the differences between a horror movie and some other kind of fantasy movie in that uh, in an action in an action movie, you can defeat, you can kill the thing that's after you. And it's about the ingenuity and courage that goes into that confrontation. In Alien, it's established early that you cannot kill the alien. It's got, with, with its acidic blood, it keeps changing form. Uh, it 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 only attacks. Um, it strikes when you least expect it. So there's there's not even time to strike back. It's it's a perfect, it's a perfect predator. It's a perfect being. And so the the point of Alien is is to confront your fears, but to run away. And so as soon as there's you know either mo more there's more of them, and you get that stormtrooper effect where at least one or two of them have to be killable because there's three. These are all well known, well worn tropes. It's, it's hard to blame the producers for wanting to cash in on the success of Alien, but that is really a lightning in a bottle type crossover situation, again, where you've taken the idiom of one kind of movie, but you've made a successful horror movie. 
Yeah, I love how you said it's a, you know the, the acidic blood of, is a great thing to the viewer that you are not going to kill this. And also, we haven't talked about this. How great is the perfect camouflage when it's in when it kind of blends in with the wiring in the shuttle, where it just kind of comes out of the wall? Like that's a great, great moment. In fact, that's one of the things that makes the creature more terrifying, right? In an action yeah. movie, you see you see the villain, you see the whole dragon, right? In a horror movie, you just see the head or the face. The 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 xenomorph is the least terrifying when you see it out the window with the cord attached to it because it's been defeated and you can see the you can see the whole thing at a distance. Yeah. Seeing only part of it up close and in a sense the creature's unknowable is when is when it's at its most terrifying. 100% Ridley Scott's decision to not to not really show the creature head on. There's that one point where he jumps up and his hands go <laughs> but to not show the, the creature walking around like King Kong makes the film so much better. And it's the same thing with Jaws, right? And you said before about the, the action film versus the horror film. You know, Jaws was marketed as this horror film, but as we know, it's not. It's an adventure film. And they go out to it. Like, they go out to the land where the monster lives to kill the monster. Well, here, they didn't want, I mean, they, they want to go find it. They want to go kill it. Here, nobody signed up for this. They just wanted they didn't even get their shares harry dean stan they couldn't even get full shares yeah i think you know jaws changes its structure or it's it's got kind of a, a dual structure but uh this is just a beautiful horror movie all the way through um and i think the thing that proves that it's such a successful horror movie is because the audience's reactions all of the audience's reactions are relayed by the actors everybody's terrified Nobody wants to be there. The, the absolute terror of the crew, Ripley's, Ripley's terror, right? When she's going to the shuttle and she sees the monster between her and the door, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't start screaming and, and turn the flamethrower on. She turns around and tries to run away. And then, of course, she has to try to deactivate the bomb, which looks like it was made from Ikea. Like she's trying to find the correct Allen wrench to turn the self-destruct on. I think that the horrified reactions of the crew, or uh, for example, the, the woman standing there saying, get out of there, Dallas, get out of there, get out, which is, it. she's, all the actors give voice to the horror of what's going on. And they're so scared, they make me scared. 100%. And that is also why I think Aliens isn't any good because in Aliens, she's wearing the giant, you know, Transformer thing, and they just go around um, spouting catchphrases like they're in Starship Troopers. None of them are afraid of these things. But in Alien, every single one of them is as, as afraid as you would be if you were in space and there was a xenomorph walking around. Exactly. The moment you start kicking ass, you're in, you're in an entirely different kind of movie. And that's why I accept the set, the second ending, because she's already stripped off her clothes into her space jammies. And like, that's the, that's the second that you least want to be attacked by the monster. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with, with heroes and films not being afraid. I mean, we're glad that, that Hooper says, come on, you son of a bitch. Like that makes it, we're, we're on his side, but this is not that kind of experience. You know, it's it's more like an Agatha Christie story or something where where they die one by one rather than any kind of adventure story. Yeah, and every Agatha Christie story takes place in like this closed community where there's no no one can come in and no one can leave until the murder is solved. Yes, and the same thing happens here. Right, and space is the perfect idiom for that. Right, the vacuum of space because in space nobody can hear you scream. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about Alien. If you haven't seen it in a long time, it's definitely worth watching again. Please follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what we should review next at 15MinuteFilm. That's spelled out, 15MinuteFilm at gmail.com. Or if you're so inclined, you could drop us a buck or two at Venmo at 15MinuteFilm spelled out. We put every dollar back into the show. We're really excited about this season. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>